Watch this. Hello, my beautiful people. It's been a wonderful year doing the original cast, and I wanted to kick off 2017 with something a little different. The show is starting to grow very slowly, and I'd like to grow it a little bit faster. But to do that, I need your help. One of the best ways to get the word out about the original cast is through iTunes. And the way that a show moves up and down the iTunes rankings, aside from subscriptions and downloads, is ratings and reviews. Not many people realize exactly how important rating and reviewing a podcast you enjoy is to that podcast's success. And really, it couldn't be easier. It takes about five seconds. You click on a show, you go to the iTunes store, you give it five stars, you write a little sentence or two, and you're done. So I'd like to make a deal with you. From now until I get tired of it, anyone who gives the original cast five stars and writes a review entitles themselves to five seconds on this podcast. If you want to plug your show, if you want to plug your Twitter account, if you want to plug anything at all, send me an email with your iTunes username so that I can verify you actually did this, and the five seconds of text you want me to read. How long is five seconds, you ask? Well, it's about 15 to 20 words. So let's stretch it to 30. I will say 30 words. I'll be willing to read some things pretty fast, but anything longer than 30 words and I'm just going to have to cut you off. Which can be funny too. I of course will exercise total editorial discretion. I will not say anything appropriate, defaming and or just plain ugly on this podcast. But if you give me five stars and write a review, I will give you five seconds on the air. No questions asked. Well, several questions asked, but you know, reasonable questions all. So again, go to iTunes. Give the original cast five stars, write a review, send me an email with your iTunes username in it and the five seconds of text you want me to say, and I will read it during this podcast. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a show about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn, playwright, filmmaker, and professor of communications at American University. And each episode we have someone from the theater, who you might see on stage, backstage, or in the house, to discuss an original cast album that they love. And today we are joined by actor, singer, we'll add that, right? Dancer? Mm-hmm. I think I've seen you dance. It's Paul Scanlon. I think I've seen myself dance too. Oh, have you? In front of mirrors? Yeah. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Thank <laughs> How you, you for doing? Me. Good to see you. Of course. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Fighting the traffic in the dark and, yeah. and coming on down. Yeah. And you chose our second Sondheim show. What did you choose? I chose Merrily We Roll Along. Apparently, in order from fewest performances on Broadway to most, we started with Anyone Can Whistle that had nine. We're up to Merrily that had sixteen, and next, I guess we have to do Assassins. Yeah, with how many? How many was the well? If you do, I guess I guess you do the original like off Broadway, off Broadway one. It was like seventy, I think seventy something. That's a lot more sizable than yeah. And then and then Pacific Overture is one hundred and fifty. Yeah. It's a low end for these <laughs> these sets of musicals here. These um, genius musicals. So the first thing I have, we did it with the... Uh, let me reach over here. We did it with the Sophie Schulman's episode about Funny Girl. We have this to <gasps> oh look at. Oh, my God. And not only to look at, but to open. Wow. Take, take, Where did you get that? I've had this for years. I bought this for like 10 bucks in DuPont at... Um, 
what's the name of the bookstore on P Street? Second Story Books. Mm. And um, it was just, they have like a very small record collection there. Oh my gosh. And this was just in it. And so I've had it in its packaging ever since <laughs> oh, then. We're ripping it open the pa- oh, of for course. this podcast. Of That's course fantastic. we are. These things are meant to be, to be looked at oh and viewed. There we go. Look at that. Wow. Color photographs. Oh my gosh. So you can take a hold of that. that. This looks like such a... It looks like such a happy experience. It really for all does. These well, it looks like it looks like what the uh, this poster doesn't ad- or the uh, the vinyl cover doesn't advertise it, but the show poster says a new musical comedy. Right. And well, when which... I think of Merrily, I think of hilarity. I think Do... of comedy <laughs> is what I think of this show. There are jokes. There are jokes. There are, there, yes. I will say there are also. So it's so funny to know what order to do this in. But I want to start <laughs> with this. Can you summarize the plot of Merrily? Now we should say it's it'll be on the podcast. Thing, but this is the original 1981. Yes, first Broadway, Broadway recording, production. first Broadway production. I think maybe the only Broadway production, but the first so. New York production. And there's like seven or eight cast recordings available for the show. But this is the original, and and the best, and the best. I t- 100% agree. If nothing, um, if not for the orchestrations alone. Oh god. Oh my god. Well, the it, overture to this show. I know. Is just, it's it, <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, okay. So, but let's. So this is the original production. Yes. Which greatly affects the synopsis. At the beginning, it doesn't really affect the overall synopsis. Right. But, so can you give a quick synopsis of Mary So Garola? we start in uh, 1980 at the graduation of the same high school that our protagonist, um, Franklin Shepard, went to. And he was the valedictorian in 1955. And he is giving the commencement speech to the now graduating class. Um, and that, uh, much like the last five years, well, half of the last five years, I should say, the show runs in reverse to show... Um, and Franklin Shepard, I should also note, uh, was a one-time Broadway composer, now turned uh, Hollywood movie producer. Um, and the show runs backwards and shows how he got to that point and the friendships that he uh, gained and lost along the way and the decisions that brought him to that place. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's good. Pretty so much. it runs – and it runs completely backwards. Completely like, backwards, Unlike last yes. five years, which runs half backwards. Right. This runs and starts in nineteen eighty. Entirely backwards and ends in 1955. 1955 yeah, at the, at the graduation. Yes, yes. I was thinking of – uh, my brain is so skewed because I di- I've done Merrily before. But okay. we did the updated version. Right. Which ends with our time and ends when they're on this – you know, they were already in college. Right. So um, it ends in like, yeah, 57 or something Sputnik. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's 1957. But yes, yeah. this ends in – this. Ends in 1955 at the at when Franklin. What well, has Shepard... the book ends? I mean, has the graduation yes. book ends? Yes, exactly. It starts with Franklin Shepard at like 40. I did the math on the drive here. 43. 43? Yeah, 25 years after graduated high school. It took me. I'm not going to lie. About 15 <laughs> minutes to add 20. Yeah, to add 25, 25 to 18. 18. I'm not going to lie. Um, and then starts with that valedictorian speech, and then goes backwards in time to or starts with his. I'm sorry alumnus speech, and then goes back to his valedictorian, valedictorian speech, speech yes. in 1955 when he's graduating. So yes. it has a nice bookended structure to it, which I think was the first thing Jettison from, from the, the production. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is, I don't know, I think, I mean, look, I, I won't be able to, I would never suggest that I know how to craft a show better than Stephen Sondheim or any of those people. But it, that's, that seems like a, such a sweet, tender thing and such a nice bookend yeah like it literally is um or like it was i should say it is no longer um and i think hills of tomorrow is such a beautiful song and in mm-hmm. context that this guy wrote it i think makes it even more beautiful that the yeah, character absolutely. Franklin ever wrote it um but obviously they it, it didn't work they totally objective and uh, yeah <laughs> they bounced I, it. i have to say so i i've never so you've done the show i have yeah okay have you ever seen it in addition to i have it? uh 
No, I've seen clips online. Okay. Uh, some from the original and then some from the Kennedy Center production mm-hmm. uh, in 2002. Right. But uh, have never seen a full production outside of, so yeah. I saw that production. I saw the Kennedy Center mm. 2002 with Rallis Barraza as was Charlie it? and our mutual friend Tracy Oliveira yeah. as oh, Gussie. Gosh. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I, th- well, I thought she was, uh, was Emily oh, Skinner no, Gussie? Oh, no, she wasn't Gussie. She was um, Meg. Meg. And and the valedictorian. Uh, see, I, I was I looking, I was looking yeah. at today and it said valedictorian. I was like, uh, was that still in there? Okay, when... hang on for one second. Sure, sure. We have technology. <laughs> I'm going to text Tracy and ask her who she played. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> we could sit and speculate all day long. <laughs> but, uh, you know, who did you play <laughs> in Merrily? Question mark. Off we go. And also, a friend of mine, and I don't know if you know Liz Maestri. Do you know Liz? I don't. Uh, she was when she was on the show. But she I know... was a uh, assistant stage manager for the okay. production too. So. Peggy Yates was in it, and mm-hmm. uh, Sherry Edelin. Was oh, it was in a it. great cast. Yeah, yeah oh my it God, was absolutely wonderful cast. But as I said to Liz, I think when she was in here, it's 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 it is. It might be my wife's favorite Sondheim show, mm-hmm. and we sat down to see it, and it opens, of course, with "Merrily We Roll Along," not the graduation assembly and she kind of looked at me and said oh they like whispered you know what's going on and I said oh yeah this is a different I forgot to mention <laughs> they've completely changed well, it and they cut her favorite song which is Rich and Happy like their oh, absolutely yeah. favorite song was songs. that Frank in it by the time it is, yes. oh because yeah. it's on the 1994 recording. yes exactly so there's the version that is done now is the 1994 it's like York Theater yes. version yeah mm-hmm. that's the version that's done now which has the new song, That Frank. And then the blob, the blob in Act Two. Such a weird song. Uh, grow Together. Growing, growing Up. Growing Up. But other than that and cutting the Tales of Tomorrow, though, it is ostensibly the same mm-hmm. show. But those cuts are important, and I, I do want oh, to talk yes, about absolutely, those cuts absolutely. with you a little bit. So who did you play when you did it? I played Franklin Shepard. Oh, did you? you yeah. lo- I was going to say, you looked at like a, Franklin Shepard. At a ripe old 20 years old. Well, that's good. That's yeah, the way it was I supposed mean, to be done. Yeah, yeah. and and it was uh, we did it at Wildwood Summer Theater in, in Bethesda, Maryland. So right around the oh, corner from yeah, here. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, we did it at uh, I think it was BCC was where we performed. Okay, Bethesda Chevy Chase High School, right around the corner from where and, I live. Uh, there you go. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and and so we were all in our uh, early because they cap it off at twenty five there. So mm-hmm. once you're twenty five, you can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of us were in our like early to mid twenties, so it kind of worked, especially for the younger bits. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the original casting call was for 14 oh, to 20. That's insane. That is and you can hear it on the recording. Oh, you, you can hear can. it. <laughs> yes, yes, you can. You you most definitely can. The original cast of this show, I mean, had... Liz Calloway. Liz Calloway. God, I love Liz Calloway. Oh, I know. Oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> she, oh, my oh, God. Have you seen her, as a side note, have you seen a recording of Meadowlark? No. Oh, it's so good. Oh, she's she's just so good. Oh, I believe it. I yeah. Love, I love her so much. Yeah. Uh, David Loud, uh, Jason Alexander... Giancarlo Esposito. Mm-hmm. This is just off the top of my head. I mean, Lonnie Price, Lonnie Price Jim Walton, Jim Walton and, and Morrison, and, and Morrison, the three leads. Um, that's a tremendous. I know supporting. What? I mean, it is the. I mean, it's you know the cream of the crop from that period. Basically, a lot of people who did this show have yeah. gone on to be major well, Daisy major Prince. Stars. I mean, oh I'm, yeah, I was of course. In this, yeah, right. Was, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's an amazing ensemble, but it is a young group. Yeah, and it's and you can, I mean, it's, it reminds me of some recordings, you know, from like the. 50s when it's just like some people can sing and others try to sing. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but but that's I think to it me is, what adds the charm to that. Well, that recording. is true. That because that's what it is to me. It is very charming. I didn't see the show. I, I, one of these days I'm going to sit down because I think the whole thing is on YouTube. The whole there's I, a bootleg doubt it. of the original Broadway production. From someone's like dad cam from the yeah, which or is like the, that. the quality is super terrible. That's why I've never watched it because it's just it's hard to watch. And one of these days I will sit down and watch the yeah. whole thing. But 
the reviews I've read have all said that this show was kind of schlocky and poorly thrown together, kind of amateur looking and mm. very cheap, which is not how the recording sounds no. to me at all. This recording sounds gorgeous I mean, and yeah. tight oh and my gosh. fully, you know, large and, and, and has presence to it, which apparently the production on stage was missing. So that yeah. was sad to... Well, the, as far as I remember, well, and I guess this this could attest to it, this cover that I'm looking at here, in terms of, like, the props and, like, the set is a lot of just bleachers. And I guess it took place in a gymnasium. Like, the, yeah. the large-scale setting was a gymnasium, was the, I'm assuming, you know, where they did the graduation and right. they set everything else. Um, well, it's funny that it, it didn't occur to me until I read, I reread here, I also have with me the Sondheim and Company book by mm-hmm. Craig Zayden, which I don't know if you've ever read. I, I haven't. brought it because I quickly wanted to reread the chapter on Merrily. And it talks about how the set looked awful. I mean, that sort of seems to be a, a, a across-the-board criticism of this show from everybody involved, <laughs> that the set looked terrible. Um, and it occurred to me that I've never seen a big photograph of the whole stage mm-hmm. of this show. Because, like, you see photos from, like, the original Broadway production of Sweeney or any – they have a huge – generally it's a big wide picture that shows you just what the whole set looked like. Because yeah. that's – I mean, that's a gorgeous set, company the same way. Big, you know, big, nice-looking sets. I've never seen a fully zoomed-out photograph of the Alvin the Theater in 1981. I just – I never in November of 81. I've never seen it. And I, I guess – it's because it would look awful. Yeah. I, I, it's because it's really the only thing everyone agrees about the original like, Broadway production of oh the show is that the set looked terrible. The set looked terrible and the score was great. I mean, those are the two right. things that everybody, everybody kind of agrees, kind of agrees on. So when did this show come into your into your life? Uh, when I first started going to Montgomery College in 2008, uh, they in their music library, they have just a wall of CDs and one – Thankfully, huge section of those CDs is all cast recordings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I picked out – I just started going through um, everything, finding things that I thought might interest me, um, uh, looking through I, – I think by that time I'd started to listen to – or had heard some Sondheim stuff. I remember when I first saw Into the Woods, uh, a friend of mine was in it at a community theater and I saw it and I was bored to death. <laughs> I, and I didn't realize at the time really what I was what like that the genes. Yeah, you weren't supposed to. I was supposed to. I was supposed to love this and fall in love with it and right. want to play every male character in the show. Um, but uh, but I was much younger then, and and so once I started going to uh, Montgomery College, I, I just picked all these cast recordings off the wall, and and one of them was Merrily, and uh, and it just became, I think I think at first because of the orchestration, because it's so powerful and. Uh, grand, mm-hmm. you know that overture especially. Uh, it just grabbed me, and then and the story was so clear as as a lot of Sondheim music is. That, yeah. I mean, he just gives it to you right there, so you could follow the plot without necessarily having to see the show or um, knowing what the book scenes were, as I wouldn't for another couple of years. Um, uh, the new book scenes, I guess. Um, and it just stuck with me. And, and, and part of the thing, too, was that every time I would listen to a recording, I would listen to things and, and uh, or listen to the, the male parts and think like, oh, I could sing that. That's, mm-hmm. that's in my range. I want to do that. <laughs> um, and then especially with something like this, where it's where it's the songs are such actors songs as, mm-hmm. as all of his oh, songs yeah. are. They're, they he just he lays it all out there and then you can just weave your little parts into it and, and make them really great. Um, and uh, and it just throughout, you know, my 
my waves of listening listening to different shows, it was always there, and I would always listen to it at some point. And and I have phases, you know, I haven't done it for a while, maybe before the uh, before the recording of this podcast, but for a while, uh, every couple months or so, I would just listen to the recording straight through mm-hmm. um, and just enjoy I think I've made probably like, because I know a friend of mine, Tracy, I don't know if it's her aunt or a friend of her aunt is Ann Morrison. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And uh, she was like, oh, I'll tell, I'll tell Ann you said that. And uh, just I just remember that having happened like twice because I think on two occasions I was like, there's nothing better than sitting down and listening to the entire recording of Merrily, the original recording sure. of Merrily Roll Along. Yeah, I completely agree. It is a, it is one of those recordings that you listen to and you go, this wasn't a huge hit. Right. How is this not right? Have a you not have you not heard hit. opening doors? Like, right, good thing just, going. Like, come on. Well, I have to. I <laughs> this show came to me in pieces when I was even when I was like grabbing all the sun time in the world. This was never a show I picked up. I heard the first time I heard songs from it was at the which was like my big introduction to sun time, which was the sun time celebration at Carnegie Hall concert when it was on PBS. Is like in ninety. Mm-hmm. It was on PBS, and I watched it, and I just absolutely fell in love with. They had good thing going, but they had the Tonics sing it, who's like a, um, like you know, Manhattan Transfer, yeah, it's like vocal jazz. Yeah. that's them. It was the most boring <laughs> arrangement of a of that song I'd ever heard, and so I never glommed on to to Merrily. Uh, and then a friend of mine years later, David Ames, uh, he and I were trying to write a musical together when we were fourteen, and he played the overture. <laughs> He said, "This is like this is what our overture should sound mm. like." Because we knew at fourteen, you start with the overture. Like, <laughs> right. That's the first thing you write. Right. And so that was my first, like, "Oh God, this is this is incredible. Yeah. This long and sometimes shows don't have overtures, right? Normally. In that classic sense of here's yeah. all the musical motifs that are going to come through the show. What's well, and... a very traditional mm-hmm. music comedy score? I mean, in that sort of the songs are clean, you know." Bits, everybody has their own motifs, everybody has their own themes. It's a very, tra- for him especially, mm-hmm. very traditionally composed score. Like you say, and starts with a giant overture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, because since it's backwards, it has reprises of songs before we've heard the song. We've had, you know, all these little tiny moments and things. And songs that, like, there's that great moment that, of course, it only works once you know the whole show, that when you're listening to Rich and Happy, Frank sings a reprise, a mini reprise of Our Time. In Rich and Happy. Mm-hmm. It's my time coming through. 
All my dreams coming true. Gorgeous house, gorgeous wife. Who wants any more from life? Which is the irony of that doesn't work your first time through the show. Right, it only right. Works the second time through. Right. Maybe even the third time through because you don't necessarily pick those little things up. But then on, on the flip side, with like not a day goes by, and I guess it 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 applies now in the new recording, which is which. Is, I hate to mention because we're talking about the original one, but how in the old recording, uh, the first act, I guess you would say the reprise, even though technically in the first act of Not A Day Goes By, just Frank is the only one that sings it. And in the second act, it's Beth, Frank, and Mary, or at least Frank and Mary. Um, And in the new recording, it's Beth in the first act, rightfully so. Right. And then in the second act, it's all it's, three. Yes. Um, right. Which is, I think, a yes. obviously correct change. That is it, yes. So you heard it first. Mm-hmm. And did you know it was running backwards? Was that clear to you from um, the recording? Or was it I, like know, leafing through the little CD book? Did it, or... it may be that. It mm-hmm. may be, you know, looking it up on Google or Wikipedia or whatever I did at the time. Um, it must be. I, 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 I'd like to say I picked up on that. Uh, right. But I honestly don't know. Yeah, although I think I think it probably was obvious because the the opening of the show, he says, you know, um, he says uh, my class valedictorian here twenty yeah. twenty five long years ago, and right. and uh, you start to you hear the guy Jim Walton right in that song, right. not if I can help it. Like, yeah. oh, isn't that funny? The guy who's going to play Frank is you know like Baxas and the other guy playing I like Frank. That, I like that voice. Um. <laughs> That's a good voice. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I think I, well, I they think have. I, the, I mean, they have little choral moments where they sing yes. what year it is, and they're clearly counting right. down. But or yeah, counting down. But um, yeah, I wonder because that's apparently the biggest problem with this show is people didn't realize that it was going backwards. That it was going backwards, which I don't know how much clearer they could have been than that's, singing the year in a like a three minute in a reverse order. I yeah. mean, obviously with the costuming. I mean, the show is so famously. A disaster, mm-hmm. and most of it from a production standpoint, like the fact they threw all the costumes out right before opening and switched everybody to those khakis and, hot and sweatshirts. Names on yeah, them. which I love, frankly. I mean, apparently that's the way—not exactly like that, but that's kind of how Hal Prince wanted to do it originally, with no set and very simple costumes, and wow. just rely on the text. And he was sort of talked out of it because you know they repeat over and over again in these things, like it's thirty-five bucks a ticket. Like he can't do that. And I go, right. oh god, thirty-five bucks a ticket. <laughs> Jesus, the <laughs> Hamilton lottery tickets are $10. That's a third, you know what I mean, of the cost of that. You know, he was just sort of talked out of it and talked into a fuller production, which they then had to kind of mostly throw away yeah. uh, anyway, I mean, after they spent all the money. So it's just, uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a, a just a messy, messy production. Yeah. So I don't, and also it, it should be respected that the recording is the, like apparently by the time they closed, they had this sort of down. It was run, like they had it. Oh, really? And audiences were, Lonnie Prince has talked about how, like, at the, Lonnie Price has talked about how the audiences were sort of standing and cheering. They weren't walking out anymore by performance Mm. 15, 16. But of course, by that point, it was was too late. So they had it figured out by the end, but, you know, you had to be there at the end to catch it just in the right moment to see the show that everybody wanted to see. I, yeah, man, I don't know. Because I don't know. So here's my question for you, though. Sure. Why does this show run backwards? Do you think that's the thing? Uh, it's I and obviously the source material. It's based right, on a, a based on the Moss the, Hart and, mm-hmm. and George S. Coffin play that also ran backwards. Right. So that's why. Which but... is so. Which which you know when I was listening to the last five years episode, I was I immediately started thinking about this and you 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 know saying if if um, 
it had switched and Jamie had gone right backwards and Kathy had gone forwards. And then I was thinking, and I've always thought about Marilee, like, like why I think it, I think it could work. The and other this way. is very, a very tentative could the other way, mm-hmm. because the whole thing is, I think a, a large part of it is, is that from the outset, Frank is an unlikable character and they've, they've right. fixed it a little bit with, with um, that Frank, because instead of all of his friends, um, Instead of him being, you know, like a, a huge jerk and all of his friends being these obviously fake people, you know, who are all telling him that behind his back that his work is terrible, but to his face that it's great. Um, and he being this huge jerk in the in in uh, in that Frank in the new version, he is he is a little less of that person. It's they, they try to make him a good guy yeah. in a bad situation. But throughout, you know, from the offset. He he basically makes all the wrong decisions, and and I guess it's a lot to ask the audience to keep caring about this person when you know how it's going to turn out. As, as I think is, I mean, there's there's really not a lot of stories that do that where you go backwards and and expect to make this person a hero or a protagonist. It's especially if if you know last five years at least they saved that bit to the second act where you find out Jamie's cheated on Kathy. Right. Um, and I guess his is going forward so that I don't know. Well, I think it's, it's, I mean, as we talked, as John and I talked about with last five years, I think the reason last five years works with backwards forwards is is it gives both characters a chance to be understood, Mm -hmm. to, to hear each side of the story from a very objective point of view. And by the end of it, whether you like both of them or not, you understand completely how both of them feel about the relationship and the, and acknowledge that both of them made mistakes. You can pick a team but both like nobody's totally innocent here right. i think that's structured but that's a character piece you know this is a this is a plot right to it and it is about three characters but really it's about one character and like you say i mean the fact that he's we sort of see like that he's cuz the problem i have with it is that i don't think at the end or the beginning pardon me <laughs> at the beginning that frank is a a jerk really at the, he's just sad Sure, because everybody's paying him all this lip service, and he thinks he's great. Like that's sad yeah. to me. That's yeah. tragically sad. Yeah. That's a, he. I mean, does lots of jerk things. Yes. Then immediately following that, yes. in the songs that come up. I mean, I mean, the the scene that goes around Franklin, Franklin Shepard Inc. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just a heartbreaking scene. Yeah. And well, and and in the first scene with uh, at the party, he's he's like cheating on Gussie with Meg. Right. Who Tracy did play, by the way. Oh, she, she texted checking you? the phone. She oh, played. She played. Okay, so she played Meg at Kennedy Center. She played Mary at Signature. Oh, right. Okay. I forgot. Yes. And she's asking there. me why now. Oh, cool. So I'm going to tell her why. <laughs> yeah, okay. So that, that solves that. That's why I thought she played Gussie because that's that part. Because he's cheating on Beth with Gussie. And then, the other party, but at the first party, <laughs> right. he's treating on, which is the last party, he's treating, treating on, on Gussie, Gussie with, Meg. with Meg. So, I mean, not that he's not, de- I wouldn't say deplorable, not he's, that he's right. likable, but I really did just feel sad, sad for him, for him yeah. uh, in that opening. And then he does jerk stuff as, yeah. as the thing. He does nothing. I mean, that's the whole thing is he does nothing to help himself in the sense well, of – Or of, help his friends. I mean, exactly. That's yeah, yeah. the thing. He does things to advance his career and, and help himself. But, yes, he doesn't do what most people would consider the right thing to be. I mean, it's an interesting character as we talk about it because I think one of the things about him that's 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 his sort of – we talked about – I talked about this again with John, this idea of the character's tragic flaw – 
Frank's tragic flaw to me seems to be that he is incapable of not living in the moment, mm. which is is a reason to tell a story backwards because like the film Memento mm-hmm. that runs backwards. The reason it runs backwards is because that character has short-term memory loss. So when we join a scene, we know exactly as much as he does. And then as you build it backwards, you now fully understand what has happened, what led him to that moment at the right. end. But this show, you know, is a, is a character making a series of bad decisions based purely on the moment. The one that stands out to me is when they sing um, Good Thing Going. Good Thing Going. Mm-hmm. And he immediately wants Does to it do again. it again because they ask him to. Say no. Charlie, they loved it. They thought we were great. You want to know what true greatness is? It's knowing when to get off. I'll sing with you. No, no, come Frank, on. That's not the point. I really. It started out like a song. This is good. Don't ruin it. Walk away while right, we're ahead. Right. And Frank can't do that. Yeah. But then that raises the question to me of why is he so successful? Right. Why is he right. constantly rewarded? He's right. Financially, anyway, and career, because they do. They're a hit. He's a success. Yeah. He's just. He just shoots from just the hip. Just a and... bad dude. Yeah. Like, like these, it, it, it doesn't, it leads to ultimately unhappiness. But it's a sort of like existential unhappiness. He's not like poor and destitute and alone. Right. He's alone surrounded by people, which is his own kind of tragedy. Mm-hmm. But he's rich as hell yeah. and like, and, 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 rich and women falling out of his <laughs> every direction. Like he's, all those things that we, you know, are sort of that American dream crap he right. has achieved, but it's empty. Right. But that's so deep. That's a deep place to start. Right, you know what I mean? Right. And then watch it fall apart. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I, I got to get lost. I get so, I get so lost. So that's why I don't know. I don't know. Like about this running it's, in it's reverse. So, it's so tough. And that's the thing. I think if you, if, if it were switched and it ran truly chronologically mm-hmm. um, and you see these kids, uh, you know, uh, let's say, in high school at graduation. And even if there was an added scene in the beginning with Charlie and, and Frank, whatever that is, yeah. to build up, to build more of that, look at these, look at the potential these guys have and their friendship and the connection between them. And then you start going down the path of, you have Bobby and Jackie and Jack, and they are, well, I guess first it would be, before that would be Opening Doors. Opening Doors, right. Which, much like last five years, it would have to be written in a way of like second song of the yeah, show and right. not in an epic yeah. La, you know, opening doors kind of way, um, but uh, I mean, I'm, I'm certain it would fairly be like a be like a Franklin Shepard Inc. without the anger, very pattery and right. very new character introduced here and that going through these places. Um, still meeting Joe. It's kind and, of an opening number. If you throw that, if you reverse the show mm-hmm. and make it go chronologically, like opening doors is not a bad place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a really nice, the three of them, the, and they're right doing out of the college, thing. Start, opening, yeah. You know, it's got that great pep number to it, yeah. and it's a great, like, bang. I mean, you lose our time, but our time is a closing number, I mean, especially in the way it's right. written. And it's and it's tough to say it would work ba- chronologically because much like with the last five years, you'd have to then oh, say really have to, they, yeah. would have, they wouldn't have written the songs the same way. They, right. have, they couldn't have. You would have to dig it out. Yeah, yeah. but the, the, the opportunity to... Flesh out the characters and build their relationships, and then, and then when he finally starts making these like life-altering decisions, you know, to sign the the picture deal behind Charlie's back. I know that's farther down the line, but then to um, to uh, do the show with Gussie and Joe, you know, he goes, mm-hmm. he talks to Gussie by himself, and he agrees to do the show, and uh, these decisions he keeps making, you can you can feel for him because right. without context, it's hard to it's hard to do that in this show. Um, I think I think there are people who do maybe I would I, but I understand if people don't feel a thing for Frank because of because 
you start at the end. Yeah. You know, you start, everything's already <laughs> happened. And there's nothing you can do about it, yeah. which is you know, that inevitability. To, I mean, I think the thing that the, God, I want to I go in two different directions at once and I have to pick. <laughs> so I think one of the problems, like, I want to go grand and then we'll go specific yeah. to this production. One of the things that, that bugged me, it didn't bug me till I saw it, and this is something that isn't changed in, in either production, is that at the party... Charlie's not there because Frank and Charlie aren't friends anymore. At the at the beginning. At the beginning. Mm-hmm. But Mary's there. Because she's still desperately she's in still love with still desperately in love with him. She's an alcoholic. She's a successful writer, mm-hmm. a journalist. And I think that was part of the problem for me is that it's about a trio and we need to see the three of them mm-hmm. at the beginning. They can hate each other. I mean, that to me is like a fascinating opening. It was like the three people are all there because they have to be there and they hate each other. And then we're going to see how how that all fell apart. Right. You know what I mean? In in that reverse way and where they started and how that was wonderful when it began. So that was sort of one thought I had that like one of the – we, we kind of get off on the wrong foot a mm-hmm. little bit with this structure because we don't see Char- – the first time we see Charlie is, is like it was. Like right before they go And on. we don't yeah. see – Frank in that scene. You know what I mean? They're so... So they either need to be complete... Like, it either needs to be Frank by himself in Rich and Happy, mm-hmm. or we need all, all three. three of them. I think going by half measures is kind of a mistake. But the thing that the book ending makes up for is it gives that sense that Frank, at the end of the show, when he... Because it transitions... We, we go backwards in time, and then for a very brief moment, we jump back to 1980, where he's giving the speech, and the speech kind of crossfades into Frank's Younger 1955 so, right. speech. And there's this dramatic moment where modern Frank kind of realizes he's messed up. Mm-hmm. He kind of realizes what he's done to himself. And I think that that gives us that catharsis we want. That gives us that, like, oh, okay, like, he gets it. Right. He's, he's really messed this up, and right. he totally gets it. And that's that gives you kind of a nice little... Now, bit. I wonder if, if in the beginning, if in the original... Um, and so I wonder if the if the show... Is uh, you know that like Frank going into a daze? Well, not a daze, but that swirl of like, oh, he's remembering what's happened, right. and then sparks the. And I'd like to thank my generously talented friend and classmate right. Charles Kringus. Um, Just so dramatic. I know. Recording the way it's like it's like the the TV trope of you know Slow. waking up and it was all a dream or something right. like that. That kind of cheating. But he's so like so the way he delivers <laughs> Charles. Crying, you can't even say it. <laughs> it's so dramatic. Right, young Frank has to take over. Yeah, guys, right. Who's but that is a beautiful. I do love his um, Frank uh, uh, 1955 Frank's message. He's like, my my final thought is a simple but mighty thought. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Turn out the same. Yeah. yeah. My final thought is a simple but mighty thought. It is the obligation we have been given. It is to not turn out the same. It is to grow, to accomplish, to change the world. Yeah. It's beautiful. The York Theater version, the version that's available now, mm-hmm. tries to find for me this middle ground, like you say, where like, Frank's likable, and it's sad, but it's not super sad, and it right. like, ends on an uplifting note. Maybe you can do better, kind of a cautionary tale. But it loses, for me, all of the teeth mm-hmm. that this production has, because this production really goes for... If this one felt... You could feel the desperation. You can feel yeah. just the yeah, exactly like the the going for broke abandon of this production. Well, and they really feel like real people 
to yeah. me. Like I really feel like Frank Charlie and Mary feel like real people. Well, and especially the the um I like uh what is it? Now you know that yeah. the last part now you know dun, 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 like yeah. right before it, uh, that da 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 now you know it's it's basically it's it seems like it's snowballing and the orchestrations are almost out of control. Absolutely, when the drums come, that smashing drum yeah. section comes in, that's in the overture. Yeah, it's it's manic. Because it is, it is that song. I mean, there's a lot of moments of mania in this show. I mean, now you know, you're right. Spins into mania, um, sort of ma- manic denial, sort of to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Trico Shepard Inc. spins into mania very, very logically. Spins into that kind of. Although mania. I do like the tempo of the York View. This the Franklin Shepard Inc. on this recording. I because I've heard it faster, and I've seen the the of from mm-hmm. 2002 when Rollo Sparza did yeah. it. You're just like this guy is. Oh man! Stop! I mean, he just yeah, goes yeah. for absolutely. It. And that song, it. I mean, it it lends itself to an incredibly fast tempo. And and if you, I wonder if they slowed it for the recording. Oh, it could be. Yeah, it could like be. to do just it so, so you can hear it. Yeah, yeah so you can, can understand breathe. what he's saying. Um, maybe not though. I I don't I don't really know because mm-hmm. yeah, when they did it at Kennedy Center, it was it was blistering oh, yeah. fast. Oh, yeah, gosh, he, was, well he got he got like a forty five second ovation he did. for that because it's it's a stunning thing to watch because it is all just him. Yeah, and it is a character. I mean, Franklin Shepard Inc. is one of those Sondheim songs, and it it, it always makes me think of uh, Finishing the Hat, where a character completely just dumps themselves out on the stage. And, of course, Finishing the Hat is lovely and slow and lilting and fun and, and, and sweet. This is a character like, like actually having a breakdown. Yeah. And, and he's having it on television. On television. I mean, and he acknowledges that. I yes. love that. In case you didn't notice, this is my first time on TV. And my last. So here's the point. Whatever happens, then we'll all go get a drink. That's the guy I love, the fella who. It is so, and it's such a tiny little, I love the fact that the thing that sets him off is this tiny, tiny little betrayal. Mm-hmm. And the the which I can't even remember what it is. What what is the? Well, he signs the, he signs the uh, three picture deal. Frank signs the three picture deal, and they're so they don't do think left or whatever. The, yeah, whatever take the, take take a left. Take a left. Yeah. That's right. They're they're leftist show that they never write, <laughs> or they have. Do they not write? They wrote musical husbands. Right, and which their is the their hit. next show. Yes, I believe so. Okay, and their next, next show, show is supposed to be a take a left. And I think they're the, it's been in. They've been writing so it. So it's not done to whatever it is. Right. But then Frank signs the picture deal, essentially delaying it forever. Right. And then um, yeah. yeah. But that's the thing I love about and, – and that Charlie acknowledges in Franklin Shepard, Inc. is his success is thanks to Frank right. also. He makes a lot He's, of money. He goes – he sales. Yeah, He right. makes a lot of money and, and a lot for me too. He makes a ton of money and, and a lot of it for me. Yeah. yeah. And it's – yeah, he does totally – 
Yeah, which is, an, that's again an idea that kind of gets introduced and then never expanded fully upon. expanded upon. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah, because, I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to, I guess, well, I, you could talk about that before somewhere, but. but well, so, I mean, if you put the characters, like I'm saying, together at the beginning, yeah. there's more of this, like, there's so much Frank can throw at Charlie mm-hmm. about that, like, you have a wife and you have kids and like who pays for that? Right. I pay Oof. for that. Ooh, man, so that what stink. are you? What are you complaining about? Right. You know what I mean? Like you could, yeah, exactly right. Because he and that sailboat is such a great specific image where he's like, I have a little sailboat and I'm into meditation. It is this like that's a very 1970s but upper class yeah. things to be into. Yeah, and. You know, Frank has does have a lot of crap to throw back at Charlie and Mary, which he does get to throw. He throws a bunch of crap at Mary mm-hmm. in that scene, but he never. Frank and Charlie never have that cathartic. Right, they just have like the the throwing two sided fight. Right, they, it, yeah, exactly Charlie right. Disappears. Charlie disappears, rightfully so. But then we left feeling like, well, Charlie's the moral upstanding, and he certainly is more than Frank, but he's not. <laughs> Again, he's not his hands are not, not totally fault, clean. Yeah. yeah, no. Everybody's, like most well-written shows, everybody's guilty and everybody's innocent depending on where you stand yeah. from it. Except maybe Gussie. I don't know. She's kind of snaky, right? She, oh, very much so. Yeah. yeah. But, but but then he cheats on her with yeah, Max, so. right? So I guess, yeah. <laughs> Although Joe Joe doesn't, I mean, he's just like a producer. He's, he just, is. Trying to, he's just trying <laughs> to get stuff made. You know, and he's just, you know, it's not, he's just being honest. He's, he's just, like, look, cause you, there's not a tune you can hum. You, right. No yeah, one's going to come see it. Even though you hum it. I love the thing I love about that song is there's no tune you can hum. And then he hums, he goes, the bump, bump, bump that I'm here. Like, that's the melody of the song. Right. Anyway, I, yeah. That's so, this is, I will say, I mean, obviously that's Sondheim taking a shot at people for years yeah. saying his songs aren't hummable, which is, of course, as he's pointed out, not true because if you can sing it, you can hum it. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what music is. But this is, to me, his most hummable score. In quotation marks, you know, mm. hummable score ever. This yeah. is the one that you find. I think I find myself whistling random tunes from this. Sure, earworms in a way that most of his songs just aren't. I mean, yeah. it's not his style. With a lot of, you know, except for like Weekend in the Country, he's never really written songs that you kind of walk out of the theater right. Humming. Well, because a lot of this, a lot. I mean, it, tons of his music and. And not everything, but especially not a lot of stuff in this that that, that like chunky piano mm-hmm. thing that he does a yeah. lot. There's not a lot of that in this show. No, there's just a lot of a lot of sweeping, nice, like, good thing going. Not a day goes by, and the happy songs are in major chords, and the sad songs yeah. are in minor keys, and it's just that like it's a very very logically laid out score, which unfortunately <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't didn't work. Didn't, didn't help. Work. <laughs> didn't help. And it's I think it's very telling that he went from this score to Sunday. <laughs> With the like, you know, well, screw it then. That kind of attitude of like, I'm going to write, like it is, I don't think he thought he was compromising with this score, but I do think he thought I'm going to write within the confines of this musical comedy tropes. I'm going to stick to, I'm going to stay in that mm-hmm. lane mm-hmm. very firmly for this show. And then coming off that sort of failure, at least commercially, you know, had to have been like, well, for, much like I think when he did Forum, which is very traditional music theater score again, and received no credit for it whatsoever. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody mentions it at all in any of the reviews. He then goes on to Anyone Can Whistle and is just like, well, then forget it. I'm just going to write the score I want to write. And it's a very successful score. Again, not a successful show, but a very successful score. What well, did he talk after after Merrily bombed that he was going to, he was almost going to stop writing musicals? Mm-hmm. He was going to do, was it puzzles or? or he was going to or... go full time into puzzles and do film scores occasionally. Right. Yeah. And that didn't happen. Gosh, thank Which God. Which he did, I mean, he did Reds. He did the score right. for Reds, Warren Beatty's film, right after this. Uh, maybe something like, yeah, I think right after this. 
He didn't write it. I mean, for a guy who wrote, I mean, he won three Tonys for best score in a row in consecutive <laughs> years, which is, can you think of, I can't think of a composer who's had two shows open in consecutive years on Broadway since like Frank Wildhorn, who only did that because he had these shows. Like he, Frank Wildhorn had three shows on Broadway simultaneously, but because they had been in development for like 15 years. Right. And they, all, they were pretty, it's just rare, not because composers don't write quickly, but because shows take so long to develop that mm-hmm. anyone would even have two shows open in consecutive What were the three? Uh, was it Company? Company Follies and uh, Night Music. Night Music, okay. Or one, two, Gosh. three for him. Right, three in a row. And and not just the best songs of the year, or best uh, shows of the year, but three tremendous. Wildly different, shows. tremendous shows. Yeah. yeah. Timeless pieces of musical theater. <laughs> yes. No, it's, it's, it's yeah, <laughs> never, never to be repeated. It is an amazing, amazing feat. So you played Franklin. Yeah. And what did you... So you knew the show before you played. I did. Frank I remember because that summer we were supposed to do a chorus line, but the uh, the rights got taken away for whatever reason. But it was it was, you know, immediately like one of my favorites. So when the opportunity when when I found out that they were dropping chorus line and we're going to do merrily instead, it's just I I really I love the book of the show. I I do love the scenes that they have, like the scene when um, Frank comes back from uh, his cruise. Mm-hmm. You know, after after I guess it's the end of Act One, he goes on the. You don't see it, but you he you know everyone's he books the cruise after uh, he and Beth get the divorce, right. and then comes back and has his new apartment and uh, yeah, it's, I mean, there's just some great like book scenes in there that are obviously overshadowed by the incredible yeah. music, um, but it was just. That's why I was. I started to say at the beginning that you said that you don't think this is a comedy, or sort of commented that it was sort of not a musical. Right. But I guess the book the, is very funny. Yes. I mean, the book yeah. Has well, especially a lot with Car- like jokes. Charlie and, and yeah, and his wife. Yeah. Who you never see which Evelyn, is, right? Or Evelyn. A great yeah. bit. Um, <laughs> until the end, until uh, when they're on the rooftop. He, depending on how you stage it, you still might not see her because she just comes oh, up that's and like right. she, when they did it at Kennedy Center, she came up and she had like a full, like, one of those makeup masks on and, like, her hair and a thing. Oh, really? And she walks out and screams because all these, like, strangers are seeing her in, like, this very unattractive state and runs back downstairs. Oh, and Mary's like, that was Evelyn. That was Evelyn. That's my roommate, Evelyn. And that's a great, that's a great bit. That's a really nice, that's a really nicely done bit. I mean, this this book is tight. Yeah. It's very tightly written. And it is, from what I understand, though I haven't read the original play, it is, I mean, it's based on George's Coffin and Mars Hart. Like, you really can't go wrong with that. Right. (laughs) <laughs> Those two guys. But it is so significantly updated, I would have to imagine it was pretty, very rewritten. You know, not like scene ideas might have been taken from the mm-hmm. original, but not like whole. And I know there is a it's lot It's not of... like My Fair Lady, where like whole scenes of that play, of Pygmalion, end up in that musical. Right. Like they really did rewrite it. <laughs> I know that, you know, like the, um, before Franklin Shepard Inc. happens, that's when you find out that that whole three-picture deal has been signed, and then their fight is after Franklin Shepard Inc. So a good amount of necessity to the plot happens in the book mm-hmm. of Merrily. I, now that you, as we're talking about this, it's kind of occurring to me how little the plot is advanced in the songs. That the songs are very character songs, except yeah. for like opening doors, which is a tremendous song, as we've as you know as we've said. Most of the songs are. Reflective, their characters commenting on themselves or each other or what's going on. Yeah, they exist in those parentheses inside the scenes. Right, and the, the the action, quote unquote, takes place in the text around those scenes, and so that's an so, yeah, that's it. Which is very odd again for Sondheim that it's not more 
things are more integrated. There's not a lot of like di- there's no recitatives or dialogue sung segments of dialogue, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of dialogue on this recording. There's tons of tons of dialogue, mm-hmm. which I have to imagine Thomas Shepard put on there, the producer, because like no idea if this is ever going to see the light of day again. <laughs> so we might as well document like a lot of dialogue right. here, because so you can follow it as it's going on. <laughs> there's so much dialogue. There's on a this. ton. Absolutely. Ton. I mean, the whole beginning, the whole opening scene, the valedictorian speech, whole oh God, long yeah. scene, will before they start singing. It's I love that. I love that too. That it's, I mean, it all... is a a chunk of time gone. I mean, that, absolutely, that is a time capsule of a show. Yep. And it just, I can't wait to see the movie. I am so excited mm-hmm. to see the the best worst thing that ever could have happened, Doc. Uh, to see kind of what what happened, just yeah. to see like really what because I, I mean, I've read this books and I've read histories of it and all that, but they're all very kind of angry and bitter mm. so I mean the which I think Sondheim still seems to be a little bitter about the show in mm-hmm. general but I mean like they, they fired the, you know Larry Field Tony Award winning choreographer was fired from the show again during previews wow. they had 56 previews for this oh show my God. 16 performances and 56 because they didn't take it out of town this is something right, I didn't realize right. at the time they went straight to New York they went, it opened in New York which is I think if there's ever a show that would have benefited from a run in Boston yeah it's right. this <laughs> just sort of be like, oh, this doesn't work because they, they they all the cast all talks about in in, in Sondheim and Company how they all thought it was going great until they ran it for an audience and went, mm. oh, this is not going well at all. Yeah. This is not, and they were already going to have a longer preview period to make up for not being out of town, but still, two like two months of previews, yeah. almost two months of previews, two months That's of previews insane. for then sixteen performances, and, and and they were still changing it. I mean, opening and then they kept they kept tweaking it all the way up through the. I mean, they took, and the show does. I mean, they fired the choreographer during previews. They got rid of all the costumes and set during previews, and then they fired the lead like three days before opening mm-hmm. and replaced him with Jim Walton, who was in the cast, but they just sort of promoted him. And then he winds up in the photos in his Jeez, cast yeah, album. It was just, yeah, it seems like I don't know, man. I don't. Ugh, it's a. It's yeah, a, it's, a, it's a shame. Is what it really is. It's yeah. just a historic shame. Yeah, an historic shame. An historic shame, you know. A shame that we love. We uh, Oh, absolutely. Yes. The, I mean, that's the thing is like a shame out of that, that didn't out of all of that disaster for one of a better term comes this album. Yes. Which is close to perfect. Yeah. For my money. Oh, absolutely. As, as cast albums go, it is an absolute like you said and it's one that you listen to all the way through. Mm-hmm. I think without any any problem, this is a great, put it, I've got, you know, I've got an hour drive in front of me. Let's yeah. just throw this thing on and yeah. we'll, by the time it's over, And it's, we'll yeah, there. it's one of those ones that I don't ever feel, uh, I really don't ever skip a song. No. There's not a single song I don't song think there's I any, I think the only thing I, I, uh, the only song on here that makes me kind of go, mm, is Like It Was. Charlie, nothing's the way that it was. I want it the way that it was. God knows things were easier then. Mm-hmm. But it's so short that who cares? Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like followed it's by just, like, the it's, best song in the show. One of the best songs. Franklin Shepard. Because Franklin Shepard come right after that. I can never remember if that, I should be able to remember that that comes before Old Friends. The time jumps are not consistent. Right. They shouldn't, I'm not saying you have to have it be like everyone's exactly a year. But like you say, the first time jump is we start in 1981. We then jump back to like 1973, I think. Seventy. Okay, sorry. We start in 1980. No, the first the first jump back is like 78, I think, to to Rich and Happy. 19, oh, yes, 1973 yes, is Franco yes. Shepard Inc. Yes. We then jump back. So we jump back like three years. Then we jump back five years. Then we jump back like one year. Then we jump. You know, what I mean? like the jumps don't quite. 
they don't quite line up. And it is it, even though you know it's running backwards, it is kind of hard to follow. Where are we in their relationship? How far, like, how far are we from the end? And what has exactly, what has happened? Right. And where, where are we? And what do they know? And and all, yeah, it's a real, it's a man. It's complicated. Yeah. And I love messy. complicated. I love messy. I love tricky. I love all that stuff. But yee, this is, and that's why I think the album though is so great because the mm-hmm. album just strips it all down to yeah. its barest essentials and gives us just this gorgeous score and just enough dialogue so you can follow along right. and, and we're on our way. I wonder what it would be, what it would take. I mean, I, that's the thing. I, 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 I love the fact that it's almost impossible to figure out. It's, uh, they didn't figure it out. They didn't figure they didn't out how it, to make no. it a, a successful show. And I don't think it ever will be to Never completely. modern sensibilities or so, our, our idea of what a successful yeah. Broadway or, or uh, musical theater show is. But I love that. that way. I love it. The it's way very that messy. it's messy. Yeah, it is messy. And it's messy, which is not something, again, you expect from Sondheim. You expect precision mm-hmm. from Sondheim. Mm-hmm. And even though he didn't write the book and he doesn't, he, you know, he's a, he's a writer on this show. And part of that is his responsibility, I think, to get it to get it to where it should be going. So what is, as we wind down, what, what is your, you played, this is interesting. Yeah. Because I don't think I've ever had anybody do a show that they were in and let alone the lead in. Right. What is your favorite song? Um, I think... Maybe my second favorite song, if I can cheat the answer, sure. is the Not A Day Goes By reprise. And I have to say, if you did, I'd die. I want day after day after day after day. I'll die day after day after day after day after day. Till the day. told in the first act uh, that scene before or after like it was I don't remember exactly when but in that in that year uh, chunk uh, Charlie you know basically berates Mary for she's like he's like I, I can't believe you're still in love with the guy yeah after all this time um, and then you see in the second act not a day goes by that she's singing along with with Beth and Frank when they're doing their wedding vows it's just like oh my god it's path- it's it's not pathetic but it's it's pathetic in the way you're like you poor poor yeah, woman it fills you with pathos yes. i mean it's pathetic yeah, in, the, exactly. in the literal in the, sense of, of the word pathetic, yes, right. yes right um yeah uh it's so it's just heartbreaking yeah it's an absolutely heartbreaking song as yeah. is the second act one but the first act one it's that kind of it's that kind of last five years oh he's not talking to kathy yeah, he's yeah. talking to the other woman right whereas this you're like oh my god she's you know yeah. You see that. Uh, my first, my favorite song in the show is Franklin Chepernick. Yeah. By far. Um, it's just, it's got everything I think an actor would want to do in a song. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, just physical bits and really stellar dramatic weight. You know, friendship is like a garden and yeah. all this sort of, and I want it back. Oh, I man. love that bit. Oh, man. Um, and the strong end. It's just great. And, yeah. and his break to his T, his, his total breakdown. I mean, yeah, he's realizing he's having TV and down. he's going to have a break. And I like that he, that song has an excellent build to it where he gets, it starts kind of sarcastic and then gets self reflective. 
and then gets deep when he kind of pauses and he's like, I can't like if I if I go any further, I'm going to say some things I'm going to regret. So I'm going to slow it down. (laughs) And then he does that. And then he kind of realizes that, like, he's in it. It's that when he said first the prizes, then the interviews. And he's like, wait, I'm being interviewed. Like, oh, ah." Oh, and then he then he can't he can't hold on. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just completely. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough. It's uh, opening doors is great. But I I think I think old friends is so good. Opening doors is, is, I mean, an incredible. Yeah. And it is. And if you talk, if you read interviews with Sondheim, you see interviews even in the the film, the six by Sondheim HBO Mm. special, which is one of the songs. That is like one of the most personal. Yeah, he says it's like his wrote. only, his really truly one autobiographical song. Yeah, and it is, and you can, t- I mean, he, it's the, you, you get everything from the desperation to the joy to the what the part of it that really resonates with me is the blind, uh, the blind optimism. Yeah, of the we'll worry about it on Sunday. Like it's just yeah. like we can't if we think about it, <laughs> we're gonna fall apart. So like we're just gonna push this off to the side. Yeah, and we're gonna do a review, and that's gonna be fine. And we're gonna make the we're gonna we open on Saturday, and that's the end of it. Like and that's we're gonna do it. We'll worry about it on Sunday. Yeah, and it is such a great that which is so clever to be like we open on Saturday <laughs> and we'll worry about that on Sunday. <laughs> after we open, we'll worry about whether or not we have time to put the show together. It is that's the part I really. I I respond to yeah. so much as that like just like whatever we're gonna go for we're it we're gonna we have to we have to do it yeah. and I think that's the thing that you don't if you lose that you're dead in, in a creative business well that's great Paul so you're yeah. doing Carousel right now right Carousel that, at Arena Stage and how long does that run for we run till December 24th Christmas Eve oh wow alright how's that going it's going great reviews have been good so reviews have been like, fantastic yeah um, uh, it's really great I mean it's I play good. bat I play a giant bat I, spoiler alert, but I, I play. Well, I don't play a bat. I play a man in a bat suit at the right. carnival. Yeah, I but, would imagine. Yes, you didn't actually play. I've uh, seen yeah. Carousel. I, yeah, I, yeah, there's, like, there's no bat. There's no bat. Yeah. I mean, I don't. You know, <laughs> liberties were taken. <laughs> the original cast was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Tom Fish, Jeffrey Madison, Imani Mular, and the tireless staff of students who run the front desk. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at Original Cast Pod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at Unknown Penguin. You can email us at OriginalCastPod at gmail. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to the original cast on iTunes, and while you're there, please give us a comment and a rating so other people can find the show. My thanks to Paul Scanlon for coming down and talking to me today. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Rehearsal.